Uh, thank you, worship team. I appreciate everyone being here today uh, as I complete this sermon series on Christian marriage. Uh, three weeks ago, I started this series in Ephesians chapter 5, and today I'm going to finish this series in Ephesians chapter 5. I know that in your life groups, you've been looking at some other passages that have helped kind of augment this. Uh, today in your life groups, you looked at a passage about humility and service. Uh, I'll, I'll hit that quickly um, also at the end. But Ephesians chapter 5 is our model for marriage. Uh, I, look, I looked at this uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we always need a model. If we're going to build something, uh, we need a model for it. If we're going to build a marriage, uh, then we need a model of marriage to follow. And we see that Jesus lovingly sacrificed himself for his church. And we see that as a church, uh, we willingly submit to his headship. And there are lessons in this. That's the message of Ephesians uh, shows, us that there, shows us that there is a lesson in this relationship that Jesus has with his church, which is our model. Uh, you may find a different model for marriage in academics. Uh, you may find a different model of marriage among your friend groups. Uh, you may find different models of marriages all over the place. But when we look to Scripture, uh, we see this model of the Christ-Church relationship. And the best way of really expressing our position on that is the view that I, that I mentioned to you last week is complementarianism. If you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Uh, but I talked to you about the difference between complementarianism and egalitarianism and patriarchalism. And uh, I'm sorry for all the isms. Uh, I'm sorry for all the buzzwords. But I really feel like that this helps us to understand a framework for what the Bible is saying. I really hope that none of you here today believe in patriarchalism. I really hope that none of you here today believe that the husband is better than the wife, he more valuable than the wife, and is of higher rank than the wife. I really hope that none of you believe that, because we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see that in the relationship between Christ and His church. Likewise, I, I hope that if any of you walked into this sermon series with an egalitarian mindset, that you the only place that you have gotten that from is from the culture, I really hope that this sermon series has, has at least challenged your thinking and has at least helped you to move in a different direction. A Christian marriage can't work where there's a competition for 50-50. Uh, Christian marriages can't work where there's this, this conflict and this fight for equality and fairness. Uh, we must find a way to give of ourselves to the other person, and that is the view of complementarianism. Complementarianism says husband and wife, equal worth, no rank. However, we're different. We're male. We're female. We're different genders, and there's different roles that we have in order to bring about oneness. Now, I pointed you to a statement last week, the Danvers statement. Uh, if you can go and read that if you want really just a full academic view of what complementarianism is. But here's just a simple definition that I wrote for you that I think makes sense that drives us to what the Bible says. And that is husband and wives embrace their biblical roles in marriages so that they complement or complete each other so as to achieve that oneness. That's what we want. 
That's what we desire for marriage. We want a oneness, a relationship of oneness, and that relationship of oneness is described in Genesis chapter 2. And it's, it's quoted all throughout Scripture, Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.5, Ephesians 5.31. We see this verse, which is our verse. This is, this is where you're trying to get to in your Christian marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 gives you the roadmap or the model for achieving this type of oneness in your relationship. And remember last week, I told you there are three critical points that marriage is discussed in Scripture. One is in Genesis 2. Another one is by Jesus in Matthew 19. The third is this sermon series that we've been focusing on in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. All three of those places, this verse is quoted. This is our ideal. Two different people of two different genders with two different roles coming together and complementing each other and becoming one. That's what we're looking for. Patriarchalism can't accomplish that. Egalitarianism cannot accomplish that. In fact, we see the curse of both of those and the conflict that they lead to all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, you remember what happened, Adam and Eve sinned, Adam tried to blame it on Eve, you know, Eve took things in her own hands, their relationship was messed up, and part of the curse of sin is that relationships, marriages, are in conflict. And so God said, I'll multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. And look at this, look what he says to the woman. He says to Eve, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is not God saying this is his ideal. This is God saying that as a result of your sin and your mistakes, these things are going to happen. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be a fight for an equal egalitarian type of situation. But the truth is God said he's going to rule over you and the vast majority of women who have ever lived on planet earth have lived in a patriarchal society. The Bible goes against that, obviously, which is why we're talking about this today. Men, I talked to you last week, and we talked about the importance of your role. The importance of your role. And listen, nothing that I'm going to say, listen, men, nothing that I'm going to say to the ladies today is going to make any difference unless you are doing what you need to do. It's, 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 on, it's, 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 on, it's on us, husbands. We're the head of the relationship, which means not that we're the boss. We, we covered that last week. But that we have responsibility for the condition of the marriage, the emotional condition of the wife, and the spiritual condition of the home. It's on us. We take responsibility for those things. And our responsibility is to love, to give ourselves up for our wives, just like Jesus gave himself up for the church. And then we hold fast. Listen, commitment is up to us. Commitment is on us, men. We are the protectors of the relationship. 
we say, no, we are going to protect from anything that could bring about physical, relational, emotional, emotional, or spiritual separation in the marriage. We are going to protect and maintain and hold fast to the relationship. It's interesting to me that among egalitarians, a lot of the debate and the, I guess you would say the, maybe the vitriol against complementarians like us is uh, that we focus too much on the role of women. And I think it's actually the opposite. I think the focus of complementarianism looks at the man and says, hey, you have an obligation. If things go south, it's on you. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, things went south and God came looking for the man. And so, uh, however, we see the, the Word of God still says some things about Christian wives. And that's what we want to cover today. Ladies, I want, to, I want to talk to you about what Scripture shows as your biblical role for you, towards your husband and towards a Christian wife. And again, we'll be in Ephesians 5. Stand with me. We'll read these few verses together. Ephesians 5. This is now the third time, three Sundays in a row, that we've read these verses uh, two weeks ago, we focused on on, we only focused on the relationship between Christ and the church because that's our model, and we wanted to get a good grip on our model. Last week, we read all the verses that pertained to the role of men. And men, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and listen uh, to that sermon. I think it's very straightforward. Take responsibility, love, hold fast. Um, Eleven verses. Only two and a half are directed towards the ladies. Men, there's something, I'm not preaching to men, I'm sorry. There's something instructive about that, men. But only two and a half verses are directed towards the the ladies. And look what it says. Wives, uh, submit to your own husbands uh, as to the Lord. And it says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now skip down to the end of this text. The last part of verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that today that these ladies and these wives, I pray that as they walk out that back door, I pray when this sermon is over, I pray, Lord, that they would feel that they have been encouraged. I pray that they would feel that they have been empowered. I pray, Lord, that they would see that in the word of God, they are cherished. And Lord, if they're not being cherished by their husbands, I, I pray for him. But Lord, I pray that you'd speak to these ladies today and these husbands as well. Help them to understand this, um, uh, this role that their wife is supposed to play. Lord, give us clarity. God, we want Christian marriages. We want to be cl- as close to our spouses as possible. Thank you, God, that you've given us the antidote in Ephesians chapter 5. For anything that we might see in marriage, Lord, help us, Lord, uh, to work through this and help us to love and to submit, to sacrifice and to give. Help both of us to do that in our marriages. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, ladies, uh, your role in the marriage is really summed up very simply, but it's not so simple. Okay, your, your role in the marriage is, is, is really summed up with one particular word, and that is the word submission. Okay, some of you think that word 
means something that it doesn't. Some of you think that that means, yes, dear, whatever you say, honey. Oh, no, I have no opinion. I'm just going to be a gentle, quiet little mouse, and I'm going to do whatever my husband tells me to do. Some of you, I really think that, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying ladies or men, I'm saying that some of us in the room really think that that's what submission is, that somehow it's subservience. That's not what it is. I think that so, we think that it means to be in subjection or it means to be subjugated below a man. We know that a Christian marriage can't work like that. A Christian marriage can't work when one person is cowering down at the, at the will and subjection of another individual. It can't mean that. So I consider using a word, a different word, I considered using a word that maybe was less offensive to our culture, more acceptable to the ladies, and less likely to be misunderstood. But then it occurred to me, God's words are always best, and the way that God says things is always the best way to say it. So what does it mean? It means a voluntary attitude of cooperation. That's what it means. All of us do this every single day, male or female, in a lot of different situations and scenarios in life. And when we apply this to marriage, when we apply this to the wife, we have to understand that it is voluntary. It, is, it cannot be something that is forced. It cannot be something that is coerced. It can't even be something that I preach to you on Sunday mornings and you walk out that door and go, Fine, I'll do it. It can't be that way. It has to be a voluntary attitude. In other words, a way that you feel inside, your heart that you have towards your husband, and it carries itself out through cooperation. I, I, I think that we could also see that the men have to do this too. Uh, that's why the scripture says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But this word is especially pointed in this situation to the wife. Now, lest you think this is the only time in scripture that that word is used, I have to point out that it's used in a lot of other places in the New Testament. Ephesians, uh, Corinthians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus, and Peter, six different books in the New Testament all say and explain the same thing. Men, I want to suggest to you that you never ever quote any of these verses to your wife. And all the men said, don't ever pick up the Word of God and be like, hmm, you over there in the kitchen, you know what God's Word says, don't you? Um, you will be so far, you know what? You won't just, listen, in all seriousness, you won't just be on the outs with her. You're going to be on the outs with your Father in heaven. If you have that kind of attitude towards your wife, and if you see it that way, You'll be in the doghouse with the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible says he, the Bible even talks about how he won't hear your prayers if you mistreat your wife. 
So never quote those. Ladies, my goal here today is just to give you three simple statements about what submission is and what it's not. Just three simple statements. You have to figure out how you can apply it to your marriage and in your relationships. Number one, uh, submission is a relational posture and not a subservient rank. I think I've said that. I think I've covered that. But I feel like I have to, I have to say that more. It is about relationship. It is about a posture in which you are related to him, not a rank that is underneath him. It is you standing side by side with him and postured with him in a relationship as a helper and as a helpmate and as a, an encourager and as a cooperator in the relationships and in all the things that, that relationships uh, happen, all the things that happen within relationships. And it has to be your willing choice. You can't just do what he says. That will not work. And, you know, I still have this, I always have this question, like, why would God tell women in a patriarchal culture 2,000 years ago that they need to be submissive in a culture in which they're already subjected? Right, let, me, let me see if I can, I can put that in plain language for you. In the, culture of, in the culture of the ancient world, ladies, your testimony was not even valid in court. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in such a patriarchal situation that your whole economic livelihood, that even your, even your word wasn't credible? Because you just because you were a woman. So why would why would God tell women who were already in subjection in culture and in their households to be submissive? Why would he say that? It's because God is concerned about relationship. That's what he's concerned about. And that relationship is not subservient. No, Listen, ladies, nowhere in Scripture does the Bible tell you that you have to be subservient to any man. No, the Bible nowhere tells you that. The Bible nowhere tells you that you have to be subservient even to your own husband. It doesn't say that. What it says is that you should have a relational posture and a heart attitude, listen, this is important, a heart attitude towards him that is cooperative and that brings you together. And so, second thing I would say about this is submission is a heart attitude, not blind obedience. It is not blind obedience. So some of you might have got married a long, long, long time ago whenever the wedding vows that were commonly used said that you will obey your husband. How many of you took wedding, vow, wedding vows that said you will love and obey your husband? <laughs> Why are you? Did you say? <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I'll talk to you after. <laughs> if you said you were going to obey a husband, me and you got something to talk about, Julio. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't usually get distracted by things, but that one threw me off. You got me. <laughs> um. Where was I? Oh, <laughs> um, nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that the wife has to obey her husband. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to obey him. That's not what submission means. It is a heart attitude, not just this blind obedience. 
It's not like the, the husband is not, listen, the husband is not the sole decision maker in the family. And most of you in here could testify that that is not the kind of relationship that you have. In fact, collaborative relationship making, excuse me, collaborative decision making is the perfect model for how we can see the Christ church relationship work. Uh, here's an example that I'll give to you. Um, years ago, I read a book that talked, it was, a, it was a book on marriage, and I was preparing to get married to Kelly, and uh, it, it was a book that talked about um, um, a policy of decision-making called the Policy of Joint Agreement. I've mentioned it years ago in one of my sermon series, and if you haven't, if you, don't, you probably don't remember that, but the Policy of Joint Agreement basically says that you never make any big decision unless both husband and wife are enthusiastic, in enthusiastic agreement. Now, this, now, where you go to lunch today does not count. You might just have to say, I'll go wherever you want to go. We do that all the time. Big decisions, big decisions. Never make any big decision unless both of you are in enthusiastic agreement about it. I'll give you an example. I never would have come, I never would have moved from Manchester, Tennessee uh, to Cookville, Tennessee unless my wife was as excited about it as I was. And what happens is, in that situation, the husband is not going to say, well, look, I need you to go along with this. And the wife just kind of goes, fine, I'll submit to you. First off, that's not biblical submission. Uh, second of all, what kind of man, what, what kind of man or woman wants their spouse to go along with something in that way. And wives, I know the same way. You don't want him to be just like, fine, honey, we'll do it, whatever. That is, that's not biblical sacrifice and love. If you think about the policy of joint agreement and you think about making decisions together, then what the husband's going to try to do is say, you know what, honey, I sacrifice my will, I sacrifice my desires because I love you and I want to give myself to you and I want you to be happy. And ladies, what are you going to do in a situation like that? You're going to say, you know what, I don't want that. I want to submit to you and I want to be close to you and I want us to do this together. And we can switch genders. The wife's saying, hey, I really need you to go along with this. And the husband, you can see how sacrifice and submission by both people, it forms this symbiotic relationship of oneness in decision-making. And you can apply that to all types of different areas in your marriage. Now, there's one word that drives, ladies, there's one word that drives that heart attitude and that relational posture towards him. And if you get this right, I promise you, biblical submission is right there. It is right there at your fingertips. And it is that word, respect. Now, what I really want to do right now, what I really want to do right now is preach to the men about being respectful, to preach to the men about being people that can be respected and, and talk to us guys about what that means. And so I'm gonna, just going to say there is a prerequisite here, but ladies, let's just, let's just focus on this. You underestimate the power of respect and disrespect that it can have on your husband. 
you underestimate the power and influence you have over him, even if you know how to manipulate him and work him and push his buttons, and most wives do, you know how to, you know how to bend us to your will, right? Most, most of you ladies, you, you know what makes us tick, and you know how to, you know how to get us into position to where we finally, where we finally concede, all right? Um, you underestimate your power and influence above that ten times through respect, you, I mean, there is, listen, there, there are people in this world that can respect your husband and he'll feel good about it. But when he feels respected by you, man, there is, mm, there is something that just makes a, that makes a husband just, he just wants, he just wants to bow that chest out. There's something about your respect that's driven deep inside of him that makes him feel like a man more than anything else in this world if he's a Christian husband. Likewise, your disrespect can wound him deeper than if he went out into that parking lot and got into a fist fight and beat to a pulp. In fact, most of us in here today, we would rather go into the parking lot and get into a fist fight and be beat by a pulp than to live in a house with a woman who doesn't respect us. Now, we can talk about maybe, he, maybe he's not being respectful. And again, my temptation is to go back to last week and preach to the men on this. Um, but this is really, really important. Respect is how he perceives that you view him, not just how you treat him, how he perceives that you view him. And listen, here's the good part. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree with him. There's no place in Scripture that says that you can't disagree with your husband. The Bible never says that. There's, there, you, can, you can still maintain respect. You can disagree with him. You can have an opinion and share it with him. You can correct him. You can even tell him he is wrong. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do that. But there's a heart attitude that you need to make him feel and sense. He feels loved when he feels respected. And this is more than just a personality type. Ladies, this is a spiritual priority. Submission is a spiritual priority, not just a personality type. This is the third thing I'll say. I'm going to move through this quickly. Um, Jesus is mentioned a lot of times here. You are to, you, 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 you don't, you, okay. Like I said earlier in the sermon, I think that some ladies perceive that the Bible tells them that they just have to be quiet and in the shadows and not talk and be mousy. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's your personality type as a woman, praise the Lord. That's the way that God has made you. But it does not mean that every woman has to match a certain personality type in order to walk in biblical submission. For example, there are some women who are quiet and reserved and don't speak up for themselves, but their heart attitude towards their husband is not like it needs to be. That's not submission. Just going along with him blindly, uh, if your heart's not right, that's, that's, that's not right. So just, just having a person, it's not a personality type. Likewise, there are some ladies who are more expressive and they're more dominant 
in the way that they carry themselves, and that does not mean that they are unsubmissive. So I, I'll give you a personal story. Let me, let, me see if this, let me see if this helps. When Kelly and I got married, I had some major things going on in my life. So over the course of like a year, year and a half, something like that, I uh, got married. Uh, we uh, had our first child. So we, we had our first child quick. Uh, I started my doctoral degree. Um, I'm, we moved to a different state. And we moved to a different church. And I went from being a college pastor to being a senior pastor. That's a lot of change. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of things that were pulling at me as a man and as a husband. A lot of things that I was trying to accomplish, you know, trying to prove myself as a senior pastor, trying to make good grades, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, live, trying to figure out how to live in a house with someone else. I'd been single all my life. I was single until I was 33, which, of course, this was just five years ago. Um, and so... You know, I was figuring out how to try to be a dad. I mean, I had all these things pulling at me. And then I had all these hobbies also that I, that I wanted to enjoy. Because as a single man, that's what I did a lot of. Well, I never will forget, I was on the campus of Southeastern Seminary. And I was on my, my last class getting ready to move into what they call the project phase of my doctorate. Uh, some people call it a dissertation. Uh, Mine my, my was just it was called a project. So... I got there, and I was like, man, I can't do this. I can't. I, 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 I can't do this. I thought, I don't know what I'm going to write. I was like, Lord, I'm from Mississippi. I don't have a brain big enough to write a doctoral dissertation. This is crazy. And I was ready to quit. And so you know what I did? I said, you know what? I'm going to call my new wife, and she's going to comfort me, and she's going to tell me it's okay. And she's going to say, get in that car and just come back to my arms. So I pick up the phone. And I call Kelly. And I express myself to her. You know what she said? She said, you get in that library and you figure it out. She's like, you can do this. Don't you come home until you figure out what it is that you're going to write on. You've paid the money. You've done the work. This has been your goal all along, and you will not quit. You know what I did? I was like, yes, yes, I can do this, man. I can, I can, I can write this thing. And I did, by the grace of God and by her support. And listen, that was actually an act of submission on her part even though it came through her personality type. I mean, how easy would it have been for her to be like, you, for her to be like, you know, I lived in South Carolina where I was Miss South Carolina and everybody knew me and all my friends were there and all my family were there. And now here you've drugged me all the way to North Carolina where I'm not Miss South Carolina anymore. I'm just Mrs. Parkinson. And I'm at home by myself with this newborn baby, Seth. He was a terrible baby. He cried all the time. It was horrible. Spit up. It was something. I'm at home with this new baby. And I mean, I need you here. How easy would it have been in that moment for her to be selfish and to, and to put my goals to, uh, uh, to the side for her needs? 
But instead, what she did through a wonderful act of submission, through her personality type, she empowered me to be the man that God had called me to be. I, I hope that shows you that when we use this word submission, that it doesn't, it, it's, it's, not, it's not what you think it is. I'm running out of time, but I got to talk to my single ladies. Got to talk to my single ladies a minute. You older teenagers, you too. Listen, there is only one man in your adult life that you are called to submit to. Only one. You're only called to have this type of relational oneness with one man in your life. Just one. So you need to choose him wisely. Listen, ladies, you are a prize to be won. You need to make him work for it. You need to make him show you, show you that he has the character. And the first thing that has to be, he needs to be a Christian person. You're not going to have a Christian marriage, and he's not going to be a Christian husband if he's not a Christian person. And it don't mean a guy that just shows up, will be willing to show up at church with you. No, a guy that is going to go to church and love Jesus, whether you're with him or not. A guy that reads his Bible and prays and goes on mission trips and just loves the Lord with all of his heart. That's going to be first, right? Amen, dads? Where are my dads at? That's right. He's got to be a Christian. Number two, is he a responsible person? If Listen, if he's not a responsible person, he is not a man. He is a grown-up little boy. He's not a man. If he's not responsible, if he's lazy, and listen, when I say responsible, is he willing to admit his flaws? If you're dating someone right now and they never will admit their flaws and you're always the one that's wrong and they never do no wrong, break up with that kid. Real talk. Uh, number three, is he a sacrificial person? If he does not know, or is he a selfish person? If he doesn't know how to sacrifice himself, if he doesn't know how to give of himself, he does not know how to love. He doesn't know how to love. If he doesn't know how to sacrifice and give, and this, listen, is he a committed person? Look at the things in his life. He is a committed person. Can he hold a job? Is he faithful to his family of origin? I mean, there's several ways that you can look. But if he doesn't keep his commitments in other areas, he's not going to hold fast to you, and he's not going to protect you. Dads, isn't this what we want for our daughters? I mean, this, this is the kind of man. Don't, don't, do not put yourself in a position to where you have to submit to someone or try. You, you, I mean, how would you even do that? How, how would you, how in the world, as a woman, can you walk in your biblical role if your man is not doing these things and if he's not these things? I would almost say that it's impossible. Okay. Greatest example of submission that we have is Jesus. And the greatest example of sacrificial love we have is Jesus. You see, we see in Christ the qualities that we needed as a husband. 
we see in Jesus Christ the qualities that we need as wives. And look at what, look at what, look at what Jesus did. It says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus wasn't some egalitarian. I got to get my 50-50 from God. No, he wasn't worried about things being equal. He emptied himself. He gave of himself. He sacrificed himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death. He took the form of a, serp, of, of a servant. This is what all of us are called to do, not just in marriage, but in all of our relationships. And this is a challenge because it does not come naturally. Men, I bet you can think of some ways that you have failed to be the loving husband that leads and takes responsibility and holds fast. I bet you could identify those things. Ladies, I bet you the same way. You can identify times that you have not had a voluntary attitude of cooperation with your husband. We're all, listen, we're all in this boat together. We're sinners. What we don't want to do is we don't, go, we don't want to go back to Genesis 3 where there was conflict between Adam and Eve. We want to go back to Genesis 2 where there was oneness and there was complement. Aren't we so glad that Jesus did 